So the questions that I get all the time from my listeners are pretty similar. They're pretty much all the same, actually. Uh, how do you find work? How do you find clients? How do you um, become successful at these businesses? Um, and I wish I had the answer. I wish I had a single answer that would uh, be the end-all be-all path to being successful, but I don't. But what I can give you for advice And no matter what business it is that you're trying to get into, whether you want to be a cinematographer, whether you want to be an actor, whether you want to be an editor or motion designer, the one thing that stays consistent through all of them is patience. Patience, practice, and the ability to promote yourself, the ability to market yourself, because you need to become your biggest fan first. You need to become your own cheerleader. You have to find that within you. And a lot of us uh, don't have those social skills. A lot of us are afraid of that. A lot of us are feeling self-conscious about what it is that we do. I mean, how many of you suffer from the imposter syndrome? It's a real thing. This is a real thing. How often do you sit there and go, I deserve to be paid for my work, right? Well, today's episode, I want to talk a lot about that stuff. In today's episode, I want to talk a lot about how to to prepare yourself for the business that you're getting into. I want to talk about um, how to find mentors, how to find mentorships, how to find help from those people um, that can teach you, help you find that confidence, help you find the ability to uh, price your jobs out adequately, right? Uh, We've talked a little bit about it on the show, and every time a guest comes on, I try to get into this topic with them as well. Um, But today, we're going to hyper-focus on it. Um, And I'm giving all the credit today to Liam. This is um, uh, an episode that Liam has wanted to do for a while. I know that, and I don't know how many of you guys know this, but before Liam worked for the show, Liam was a fan of the show. He was a listener of the show. Um, and he got to my podcast after hearing me be on Joey Corman's podcast, which is the School of Motion podcast. Um, and Liam also listens to our guest today's podcast as well. So uh, he really wanted to put together sort of a team up episode where two podcasters that he had got advice from were getting advice from each other, which is kind of cool. Uh, so big shout out to Liam today for setting this episode up. Uh, And for those of you who haven't realized it yet, you are listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I am your host, Mike Petchy. Welcome to the show. Uh, And welcome to those of you who are coming over to the show. Um, Very excited to have you. Uh, You're going to come to realize quickly that this is a different type of podcast than you're used to. Uh, This is more of a conversational podcast. I say fuck a lot on the show. (laughs) Uh, So we're very open uh, to collaboration. We're, we're happy to have you guys here and we're happy to hopefully inspire you with stories from people that inspire us. Um, and if you're looking to dig deeper into the show, head on over to inlovewiththeprocess.com. There you will see that we have curated episodes based upon subject material. So when you look, like maybe you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, maybe you subscribe to the show on Spotify. And when you look at that list, I think we're at like episode 
95, 96 with this one. Uh, it's a lot to, to take in. Like, where do I start? Where do I begin? Now, if you're a true comic book nerd, like many of us are, you go back to issue one, you go all the way through, man. <laughs> but I know some of you needs to, you guys need to dip your feet in the water a little bit. So if you go to inlovewiththeprocess.com, there I've curated the episodes based upon subject material. So if you want to listen to episodes from film directors, we have that whole list. If you want to listen to episodes from people that work on movies, got that list too, chefs, musicians, all over the place. The show is broad. And what we're trying to do is broaden the show a bit to include bigger and better guests, more inspiring people, people that I'm inspired by. Um, and Liam and I were just talking about this offline. Typically what happens with a podcast when you want the show to be successful, you niche the show. I've gone the complete opposite direction uh, because I don't want this show just to be about, hey, you want to learn about uh, great plugins for After Effects? We're going to teach you that. You want to know the secrets to the industry? We're going to teach you that too. No, 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 fuck that. This show is about having great conversations with inspiring people, people that I want to talk with. Because here's a fucking newsflash, guys. I don't get paid to do this show. So to make it worth my while, to make it worth your while, we're expanding this show out to be great interviews with people that are inspiring to me. And hopefully will become inspiring to you. And the cool thing is, is we get to learn about this shit together. 100% transparent about this. I am learning at the same time you are. So I love that about this show. The show has been doing wonderful things this year. Our episodes have been over the top killer episodes i don't know if you guys have heard them yet have seen them yet go back and check them out we did uh, an episode with brett bachman who was the editor for mandy how many of you guys saw mandy that was put up by spectre vision with nicholas cage chainsaw wielding revenge flick fucking amazing movie got to hang out with the editor on that love him so much hopefully we'll work with him in the future um multiple episodes we had an episode with uh, chef tom jackson who is from All Things Barbecue. He's got an amazing YouTube channel. And you guys that are listening to the show, fans of the show, you know, you know that I have a problem with barbecue. <laughs> I make too much of it. I cook too much of it. I eat too much of it. Uh, we have a love letter to great barbecue episode that's up there as well. So head on over to inlovewiththeprocess.com and check it out. All right, so let's talk a little bit about today's show and today's guest. Uh, on the episode today, we have Haley Akins. Now, Haley is a motion designer. She has been a motion designer for years. Uh, she uh, had a career at Google for quite some time, and then she went freelance. So she made the big jump from having a, a full-time gig into the freelance world, which is scary for a lot of you because a lot of you are dealing with that right now because of fucking COVID, because of the crisis that we're going through, a lot of us are working from home. A lot of us are now becoming freelance because we've either been laid off the jobs that we were on or now have been using this opportunity to go freelance. And the big issue with that is the uncertainty, right? That anxiety. Where am I going to get my money? I don't have a line of clients. How do I find clients? Where do I get these clients? Um, Haley's got a lot to say about that stuff because she has transitioned into becoming an educator online. So she's actually educating motion designers uh, with her amazing Motion Hatch podcast. She has motionhatch.com as well, 
where you can go check out her courses that she does. She does amazing things for freelancers. Um, perfect person to have on the show, especially in an episode like this where we're talking about motivation. How do I stick with it? How do I survive this? Uh, I've been doing this myself as a freelancer now for going on 20 years. Can you fucking believe that? Time travel, man. It's insane. 20 years doing this shit. And I remember, like it was yesterday, what my first year was like, what my second year was like. And luckily, I just had blind confidence. <laughs> I just had blind arrogance, really, is what it was. It'll be fine. We'll be fine. We'll get through it. Um, and there have been ups and there's been downs. And there are ups and downs weekly. There are ups and downs daily at this point where shit's going great and shit's not going great. And then shit's going great again. Um, so stick with it, guys. And uh, what, what hopefully this show does will give you a little bit more insight into how we handle our clients, into how uh, we set ourselves up for future work, right? Um, and more than anything, how we just sort of stick with it. Hang on. If you love this job, if you love what it is that you're trying to do, it's tough. It's going to be tough. Let's figure out a way to put you in the right mind space to stick with it. Because if you stay with it, you're going to outlast the ones that don't. And then you'll be on a shorter list for, for the people that are needed for what it is that you do. So without further ado, let's not delay it any further. Uh, you know what? I am going to delay it. I'm going to delay it for a half second here because I want to talk to you guys. So here's, here's the deal. I've talked about it on prior episodes and, uh, this is really important to me. I need you guys and girls out there to do one of two things right now for me. Okay. Cause the show's for free. You don't have to pay for it. This is really going to help us out. You can either go follow us, subscribe to our new YouTube channel. So if you go on YouTube to in love with the process, search my name and love with the process, you'll see it. We'll put links below. Go there and subscribe to the show. So what we're doing is we're transitioning our podcast episodes onto YouTube because after COVID, we're going to start filming these things. When people start to be able to be in the same space, we're going to make it bigger and better. But in the meantime, I'm taking these episodes and Liam is taking these episodes and we're putting them into really cool looping footage, really cool visual stuff. So while you're listening to the show, you're seeing things at the same time. We're trying to make that jump to YouTube. We need to get our subscribers over a thousand. We're at 400 the day that I'm recording this right now. And I know how many of you listen to the show. I see the numbers. I need at least half of you listening today to go to our YouTube channel. So that's in love with the process on YouTube right now and subscribe. Okay. And if you've done that, if you want to do something different, and you're listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. Rate the show. The review could be three words. I know how short everybody's time is. You can be like, I like. <laughs> it could be two words. I like podcast. Three words. There it is. And give us a star rating because everybody that reviews this show puts us higher on the algorithm. Okay. And the higher we are in the algorithm, the more people I have listening to the show, the more people I have engaging with the show. And why is that important? 
because I will then be able to convince larger guests to be on the show. This is so important. And I'm taking a moment to do this. I'm asking each and every one of you to do both these things, but pick one for now. It's fine. YouTube or Apple Podcasts. Either way, you will single-handedly be improving the content of the show by doing this. I'm not asking you for money. I'm not asking you for donations. I'm asking you to take a fraction of a second and go do that. Okay. There it is. I wouldn't I wouldn't break up my intro if it wasn't important. And it is very important to us on the show. So thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of it. And you know the deal. It's time, man. Go grab those noise-canceling headphones and grab a piece of paper and a pencil because you're going to write down some shit. Listen to me. What am I, from the fucking 40s? Get out your iPhone notepad setting. <laughs> and then take some notes because this a lot of the stuff that we talk about in the show is going to help you get through the fear that we all have of being a freelancer. So get ready to sit back, relax, and enjoy the brand new episode of Elope the Process. Haley, thanks for joining us on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is awesome. I We were joking about this before we started rolling. Um, I always love doing uh, interviews with folks in the UK because the time difference is pretty substantial. <laughs> so I really appreciate you making the time for us and, and coming in. Yeah, uh, it's fine. Yeah, it's not too bad here. I made you get up early, so it's like 5 p.m. Not too bad. <laughs> not I feel bad like such me. a baby. <laughs> I feel like such a baby. And what we were saying before we started rolling, it's just because of, of COVID. It's really, the schedule starts shifting when you're not reporting to work or, or you're not dealing with clients on a daily basis for me. So what ends up happening is, is that slowly I start transitioning into becoming like more and more of a night owl where it's like you're going to bed at like 2.30, 3, 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, but it's good and it's good. I'll make it through it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm definitely like more of a 10 p.m. kind of uh, girl recently, to be honest. <laughs> like, I don't know why. Like, I just feel like I'm trying to get up at half six and do loads of stuff. I know that probably sounds crazy to you, but no, it's people listening feel me, you know, maybe they're like, yeah, I do that, too. I want to do that. It's it's a curse. It's an ultimate curse. And I was talking to my uh, girlfriend, Gina, about it. And when I was younger, it was great. I talked about the first time I had an overnight job. I took a job in a grocery store when I was a teenager, and and uh, I actually worked the overnight shift. And I always thought working nights were so excited and so strange because you're living in this strange world that other people aren't, and you're up really late. Um, and there was a sense of excitement with it. And now it's just sort of like a sense of torture <laughs> because you're never really getting a solid sleep and you're waking up too early and then you're up too late. It's been, it's been pretty insane the past like month and a half. Um, so this is probably good for me. It's probably going to put me on a, hopefully it'll put me back on a, on a healthy schedule. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, if you ever want me to like send you an email and be like, are you up yet? Like, awesome. I live with accountability. So whatever I need to do, it's fine. I I appreciate it. We'll either become best friends or I'll hate your guts. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll, we'll do that. <laughs> but I'm in the UK, so I could literally 
you know, get you up at any time you want, like in the middle of the night. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, no, 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 I, no, I don't think we need that. <laughs> um, so <clears throat> thanks for being on the show. And uh, for those listening um, that uh, don't know who you are, don't know what you do, just let's talk a little bit about that. Let's get started. Like um, you started as a, a motion designer, is that correct? Like, Yeah, that's right. So I uh, you know, I've been in the motion design industry probably about, I would say 10 years, but like, I'm sure that I've been saying that for about two years. Maybe it's 12, something like that. <laughs> um, you know, you kind of lose track and you just keep repeating yourself. And then there's probably like an old website out there that says like seven years or something. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah basically doing um, a lot of motion design stuff for a long time and then no. transitioning kind of more to, you know, helping people in the industry and stuff like that. Well, for those, okay, so a lot of our listeners come from all sorts of different places. It's probably the issue that I have with my show is that we have such a broad group of listeners. Um, just explain to some folks that don't know what a motion designer does, like briefly, what would you say that the, the job title or what the job of a motion designer is? Yeah, so the easiest way that I feel like I can probably explain it is we're sort of like animators, but then we're sort of like graphic designers, but we make the graphics move. <laughs> right, right. So you guys are like oftentimes designing are designing title sequences. You're designing um, uh, like animated GIFs or moving graphics or like um, uh, opening sequences, that kind of stuff. Yeah, like a lot of uh, a lot of people do like explainer videos for companies, a lot of stuff in advertising, things like that. Mm -hmm. Anywhere where you would see graphics but they're moving is usually done by a motion designer i guess that you know it's in the title isn't it you're a designer but you make things move as well <laughs> it's very true and it's a it's it's a skill uh not only for like a technical skill, not only understanding how to use the the software and the programs but also having like great design sense and like you said before it's it's uh, being a graphic designer and understanding like color palettes and contrasting colors and understanding uh, typography and fonts and uh, how to design logos and how to make, uh, how to have a design for a logo that looks good in motion. Um, this is stuff that's used everywhere. So like anytime you watch a commercial and the logo comes up for the commercial or any sort of text on the screen that comes up for a commercial, generally uh, when we're doing stuff, we're usually outsourcing that to some sort of uh, motion designer. Um, and so this is actually a, a pretty, it's pretty universal uh, job. It's well needed, whether you're talking in the movie industry, you're talking in the commercial industry, or if you're just looking or looking for web design, all those different aspects, there's a bunch of different outlets for this job. For those of you who don't know, um, did I get all that right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like you explained it pretty well. Most people, even in the industry have a hard time articulating you know what we do so i think you did a great job well thanks and i think at the end of the day it just comes down to i've needed to hire motion designers for multiple things that we've done um and it, there's a lot of directors that listen to the show and we've always said on other episodes it's always smart to understand and learn uh what each person does and how long it takes them and have sort of empathy and sort of respect for the amount of time that it takes to do this stuff because then you'll be able to plan it more accurately you'll be able to budget for it uh, more accurately and then hopefully have a happier experience and have happier people working with you and have happier clients. Um, so 
Okay, so you started doing uh, motion design. Were you always working freelance or were you working for a larger company? Yeah, so I always like wonder on these podcasts, how long, like how far back do you want me to go? Um, <laughs> Let's I think start I, at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, you let me know. What do you think? Yeah, what, what, what was your first? What was your first gig? What was your first motion design? Gig? Right. Okay. Yeah. So I feel like I need to go like one before that to make it make sense. But um, okay. basically, my first ever job, kind of in TV, was in a sports broadcasting company, and I was a like motion graphics operator, which is slightly different to a motion designer because I was doing the live graphics on football and stuff like that. And I hated that. So I was like, cool, where are the most creative people in the building? And they were the motion designers. So the people who were designing the stuff for me to put out live on the football matches and stuff like that. So that's kind of how I got into it. But I did actually do a film production degree before that as well so I sort of just tried to get a job as a runner an editor you know anything so I mm-hmm. could have been like doing anything really I guess editing directing just ended up doing this graphics operator job and then trying to find a more creative job out of that like I think most people do that kind of thing yeah of course of course like a, a lot of folks that go to film school a lot of folks that um, <clears throat> try to, because in the beginning, at least with the film industry, and we've talked about it on the show, at least with the film industry, it's a very sort of romantic business. And I think that when you are looking at it from the outside, uh, a lot of folks are like, hey, I'd love to do this job, or I'd love to be a director. And then you get into it, and you start to learn a bit more about it, and you get... <laughs> you start to understand how boring a lot of it is um then it's interesting to see how like a lot of my friends that i came up with sort of filtered off and a lot of them have gone off to be sound mixers a lot of them have gone off to be gaffers a lot of them have gone off to do all these different job titles positions that they never really knew existed and never really knew that uh, that was their calling until they started to do it until they saw someone else doing it um, so it totally makes sense. It, it's, I think that's part of that initial period of learning about your craft is sort of getting over the romance and getting over the preconceived notions that you might have about it. And then, uh, you know, you end up being placed in your best job. You know what I mean? Naturally. Yeah, definitely. And and I think as well with what I do now, if I kind of knew that when I started I don't think I'd quite believe it to be honest and and I think it's because of the industries and the technology moves on and things as well so you can't I don't really believe that you can really plan too much for this stuff like you can point yourself in the right direction but I don't Mm. know whether you can be like yes I'm gonna do this and it's gonna be what I do forever like I don't think even what I'm doing now is gonna be what I do forever I think that's unrealistic to think that and I think that's exciting really well, that's the exciting part about being a freelancer, really, is that, uh, you, A, you never know, really know where your next job's coming from, and then B, uh, you never really know uh, where you're going to be in like 10 years. You know, you try to predict it, you try to aim for a goal, but you're constantly having to shift, you're constantly having to uh, stay on top of what's happening, because our business shifts so quickly, especially with the advancements of technology. Um, and you know, what is the, the hot new thing the producers are looking for? What is the hot new thing the clients are looking for? So you're constantly having to stay on top of what's new and what, what the new formats are. And that shifts everything for you consistently. 
Um, yeah, I think as well, um, you know, a lot of people are like, I don't know what to do next. I don't know what I should be doing and things like that. But for me, it's all about, am I kind of pointing myself in the right direction towards a goal that I think I want, but then being open-minded enough to see the opportunities along the way, see where maybe the path splits in two and you kind of have two options and all mm-hmm. those kind of things. I, I, I try and um, talk to people a lot about this because I feel especially as young artists and filmmakers and stuff like that, everyone can be like, no, this is what I want to do and I can't possibly veer off this path and no one's going to tell me otherwise. And, you know, I'm an artist and no, I won't do that like crappy job when I first get started and stuff like that. And I'm like, that's like not realistic. And I I always want (laughs) to give people kind of lofty goals, but then I'm like, you know, you have to work hard to get there. And yeah, I don't know, maybe I'm sounding like less, uh, (laughs) less (laughs) kind of trying to inspire people than I normally am. But I think it's just trying to be realistic because I worked in, uh, as like a full-time motion designer for like seven years, which in our industry is unusual because yeah, I was working totally. at Google and stuff like that. And they keep you there because they've got really good food, you know. Um, <laughs> and, then, and then I went freelance after that. So I've been working in the industry for a long time before I went freelance. And I don't advise everyone to do that, but you just can't. Sometimes I think you can't predict how things are going to go for you. And I wish I'd made the jump earlier and... Yeah, it's just difficult to kind of plan your whole life. You can't do that. But I think you should know where you're going in the direction, but then plan for like, say, the next 90 days or the next quarter and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's fascinating because I when I talk to folks uh, in the filmmaking world and when, I, when people come to me for advice, one of the things that took me forever to learn, and I think it's the most powerful thing that I've learned is how to have my brain in the right place to be flexible because uh at least with making movies there isn't a there isn't a path i mean you could do everything correctly quote unquote correctly and still not get a movie made and so you have to figure out a way to a stay nimble but also b stay sane um as you sort of go through <laughs> years of heartbreak essentially because it's it, most of what we do in our business is just getting turned down and then standing back up and going okay let's do it again let's do it again let's do it again um and so i think that's smart i think it's i think it's important to try to train yourself on how to stay open and how to stay savvy to to these pivots because these pivots will lead you down a path that you never thought you were going to get down and then within that path, you'll make contact, you'll meet people that end up spinning you back out to where you started. And it's it's this weird sort of circular thing that I've seen, whether you're talking about trying to get a movie made or you're talking about trying to get specific clients or work with clients. Like I've tried and I've done bids on on major commercial jobs that I've been turned down on multiple times. And then eventually the client comes back around. Um, and so you, you have to learn patience, I think. Is my long-winded way of saying <laughs> it's just patience. You know what I mean? Yeah, and especially when trying to get clients or say trying to move into a new niche or something like that or niche. Do you say niche in the US? Um, <laughs> niche is good. I like it. Niche is good. Yeah. So when you're trying to do things like that, I think people expect it to happen overnight sometimes, and it doesn't. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't lose faith and and stop pursuing that goal because I think. Um, 
that's probably what I've done okay is I'm just always like well you know if I try my best that's all I can do and like keep going and keep trying to point myself <laughs> where I want to go and and I feel like that's kind of paid off so a lot of people get disheartened I think and and kind of give up you know before they've really gotten there and it reminds me of this book by Seth Godin I don't know whether you've read it but it's called The Dip and it's, it's always where you know when you start a project or something and you're like yeah this is awesome I love it this is so exciting <laughs> and then like it goes it gets so point and then it goes into this huge dip and then it's like this is rubbish I hate it this is too yeah, hard it's very true. and it's kind of that thing is he says well like that's what the dip's there for because it's kind of weeding out all the people that give up in that point and if you can get through that usually you can have more success and you know with that kind of thing it's just about choosing what kind of dips you want to go through and what dips are worth it for you I think in the projects that you want to do yeah because it's hard to prep for those you know and and sometimes because you every project you do ultimately you go through that and then uh you at least with me because I've been doing Jesus how long I've been doing this like 19 years 20 years now so at least with me, I, I, you think you have a rhythm for it. You're like, I'm used to this. I'm used to the, the lull that's going to happen. We'll get through this. This will be fine. And it always finds a new way to be worse than it was before. And so you're like, oh, God, was it this hard last time that we had this lull where we didn't have work? Was it this hard waiting for something? So you just got to be on your toes. There's, and the one thing you can count on is that there's no rhythm. <laughs> yeah I don't know how you feel about um podcasting and stuff like that because I feel like that's probably definitely up there with these kind of projects where you sort of get to a stage and most people give up and then it takes quite yeah. a lot to get up to like I think my podcast has about 70 episodes at the moment yours is on like is it 90 yeah. something or what are we what are we now Liam uh yeah we're we're in the 90s as of today <laughs> we just released episode 94 so, okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 We're close. We're close to a hundo. Um, yeah. No. It's you're right, man. It's it's time in, and then it's it's kind of thankless time in, especially in the beginning because you put out really good t content. And you're trying to get listeners, and uh, it took a long time for me to realize that consistency gets you listeners. And in order to be consistent, you just have to be putting stuff out. Um, yeah. it, it, it definitely. You, you like that's interesting too because um you run your pocket your podcast is the motion cast podcast correct Mo it's motion hatch yeah motion hatch i'm sorry no it's <laughs> fine it's right this okay. morning um but uh how long so you've been doing that for how many years now like what two years three years uh yeah so i think it's like it was november 2017 so what's that like yeah probably nearly three years i guess I yeah i can't count so <laughs> yeah, a long time you know um and yeah so at the beginning it was just like a hobby and now you know it's part of my full-time business which is exciting too because I don't think many people don't kind of get to transition in that way so that's pretty that's, cool. <clears throat> has that transition like at what point did you realize that it was going to be your full-time gig like it, it what was the transition for you I think it was because I was working full time as like a freelance motion designer. And I think for me, it was when I'm like doing these podcasts in the evening and on the weekends and, you know, people are really enjoying them and stuff like that. And that, and people start emailing you and saying, this is really helping me. I really love this. Like, can you do an episode on this and that? And then I was like, oh, I, I need to like 
do have more time to do this. Like it's sort of like <laughs> you can't do both forever. So I, I feel like you could spend a year where you really put your effort all into something outside of your full-time work and you know maybe for some people it takes longer than that but I just felt like I was like oh I need to choose you know I need to do either you know be freelance or do this like motion hatching full-time because I can't continue to do both because I was just getting towards you know that kind of burnout feeling so and people started asking me for different stuff so I was like cool how can I you know, help more. And and the first thing that I started to do was this freelance contract bundle, which is, you know, the worst thing that you could start with as an online product. I just like to tell everybody because <laughs> it's to do with all lawyers and stuff and hiring lawyers and talking about law. And, you know, I'm not a lawyer. So it, yeah, it was a bad decision. But anyway, <laughs> it allowed me to make a little bit of money and helped a lot of people. And then we, after that, we start well it was just me at the time so I started um bringing people together in these mastermind programs so um I don't know whether you know what a mastermind is but in in like entrepreneurship that people get together in small groups and it's kind of like a peer-to-peer group where you get accountability and that kind Mm. of stuff so I was in a few of them myself and I was like this is really valuable this is what's pushed me to do a lot of things and it's really helpful so I want to bring that to my community that I've built through the podcast and that kind of allowed me to then go full-time on Motion Hatch because of the money that I was making by running these masterminds and you know ultimately helping a lot more people so that was really great. Okay you know the deal guys. Uh, right about now is when I need to take a break and thank the men and women that help make this show successful. And I am not just talking about you. I know you guys think everything's about you. It's not. It's about the sponsors, right? But I'm going to say real quick before we get into that, thank you guys for following us on Instagram. Whether you're following me at Mike Petchy, my personal account, or you're following the podcast account at In Love With The Process Pod. That's In Love With The Process P-O-D on Instagram. There is the best place to get direct contact with me or Liam. So you can reach out, give suggestions for guests, which I am taking daily from you guys. We're attempting to get these guests booked on the show. If you did the follow shit that I said at the beginning, that helps. Um, But uh, I'm also getting feedback on the episodes, and that is a great place to yank graphics, steal graphics from me. Grab one of those repost apps and just repost any of the graphics for the episodes you like and post about them. All that stuff really fucking helps us out. Enough about that. Enough about you. Let's talk about the people that give to this show, right? The reason why I'm, t- I'm speaking into this super sexy microphone, the reason why I'm speaking into this amazing roadcaster device that has changed the sound of this show is because of the sponsors. So first up, my good buddies over at Puget Systems. If you are a filmmaker, photographer, if you're a video gamer, if you're a motion designer, right? And you're looking for a brand new system and you don't want to drop a dime on that fancy pants fucking Apple shit, right? I am not afraid to say it. That you're paying for an unboxing experience with those guys. You're paying for the cult. I highly suggest you build a PC. I know a lot of you are like PCs. Oh my God, does that mean it's going to crash on me? 
hello, this is in the 90s. PCs run stably. I've had and I've cut my past two movies on PCs. I've got multiple Puget systems. I love them. Custom built computers specifically for my needs. It's not like I'm going to a website and having that manufacturer tell me I have three choices and you can only choose from this graphics card or that graphics card or this hardware from this hardware. Mm -mm. Sky's the limit. And the thing that's really great about that is it's an open market. So you're getting the best price. You're getting the best products, right? Um, but I know a lot of you out there are like, I don't know how to build my own PC. I don't want to go through the nightmare of building my own PC. I want to buy a computer that comes in a nice box and I can open it up and set it up and have it going immediately. Totally understandable. That's why I did the hard work for you. I talk about Puget Systems because I was in the same dilemma. I needed to find uh, a company that would send me something that was as stable and as reliable as the stuff that Apple was doing. And I found Puget Systems. So if you go check them out, go to PugetSystems.com. There you can choose a system based upon the software you use. They give you a few options to start. And then they love to customize stuff. They love to talk to their clients. So you can have communications with these guys and say, this is what my budget is. This is what I need to do. This is what I need to build. I want to build a super sweet After Effects machine. A lot of you don't realize that the best choices for hardware for After Effects aren't necessarily the newest graphics card. Because a lot of those new graphics cards are being built for PC gamers. That's their big market. So a lot of that new shit on that super pricey graphics card isn't even helping you with Premiere and it's not even helping you with After Effects. Thing that Puget does, they're not manufacturers of equipment, they build computers. So they go through and they benchmark test all this stuff. They do all the hard legwork. And they post the stuff on their website, but they use that knowledge to build these systems perfectly for you. So it is the best way to spend your money. And that extra money that you've saved on the actual system itself, you can go buy yourself a sweet monitor. You can go buy yourself a fucking Wacom, a Wacom tablet. Fucking Jesus, my mouth stopped working. You can go buy yourself a Wacom tablet, which I love so much. Uh, you can buy yourself those accessories that you wouldn't be able to afford after dropping Enough for a fucking really great used car on a computer. It's unbelievable how expensive those fucking computers are. It drives me insane. So check them out. Go to PugetSystems.com. And if you aren't in the country, if you're international and you're like, well, Puget doesn't ship to me, they also have a consultation program. So I think it's for like a $500 starter fee. Don't quote me on that, but I think it's like $500 starter fee. They will walk you through how to build your own Puget system, give you the access to the uh, specs that they use to do it. So if you want to build your own, it's a great fucking resource for that. So go to PugetSystems.com and check it all out. Whew, I barely made it to that read. Oh, yes. Up way too early today. Uh, okay. Also up are my good buddies over at Quasar Science. They just re-upped their sponsorship with us. Thank you, fellas, for being there and sticking with us. And those of you from the movie industry, those of you from the cinematography business or for the lighting business, those gaffers out there, you guys are all like quasars the shit. Yes, they are. If you are in the business uh, and you're looking for new lights, and I have a lot of people write to me all the time, Mike, what is in your kit? What do you use to light your stuff? I'll tell you right now. I've got a kit full of a bunch of different units, but I've got a lot of quasar stuff in there. I've got their rainbow LEDs. 
I've got their bicolor LEDs. Uh, and one of the best advancements in our industry over the past 10 years has been lighting straight up. It is so much more impressive than the cameras are. It is so much more impressive than the editing equipment is. The advancements with LED technology has changed the face of movies and TV as, as, as we've known it. So when you watch Netflix and you see this really vibrant, colorful, beautiful imagery, it's because of the advancement with LED tech. And it isn't just the light, but it's also uh, the changes that it's made as far as how many people are needed for it, how much power do they draw. They don't draw that much power at all. You can be running these things off of batteries. Uh, you don't. You no longer need generators to light large sequences. It's huge. It's really great stuff. And so if you want to be a part of that, if you want to own some of this gear, head on over to quasarscience.com. There's links below the episode. Click those links because they are traceable links, so our guys will know when you go to them. Um, and check them out. I only suggest these these companies, and I, I team up with these companies as sponsors because I use their shit and I believe in their stuff, and I know them as people. And these guys are good folks, so go check them out. Also, supporting us as always are our good friends over at Industry Jump. Check them out on Instagram at Industry Jump or IndustryJump.com. Uh, a great community, a great way to meet other uh, creatives, other filmmakers, other cinematographers. Uh, and it's a great place to develop your portfolio and hopefully find you some work. So these guys help uh, push our show uh, every week. And so as thanks, we are going to give them a shout out. So go check out industryjump.com. Um... I think that's it. I'm just thinking off the top of my head for this week. Yes, that is it for this week. As always, go check us out at inlovewiththeprocess.com. And, um, you know, if you guys have been following me on Instagram, you've seen me posting uh, a bunch about concept artists. You've seen me posting a bunch about uh, art that is inspiring me. This is something that I've been doing over the past couple of weeks. Um, I'm just showing some love out there to all the different concept artists that are out there. There's a bunch of really great websites. Like I think it's like conceptart.org. Let's see if we can get some links for you below. Um, but man, I just love the men and women out there that are literally designing the look of all the movies that we're falling in love with these days. Um, so just wanted to give a shout out to that. Not a sponsor, but love to you guys. Okay, so that's it. Let's get right back into it. Can we get a little deeper into these masterminds? Because I know there's a lot of listeners that don't know exactly what that is. So mm -hmm. what, is, what is that program essentially? Yeah, so like I said, a mastermind in, in general, you know, it can be just a group with your friends or with some like any peers really. And you're kind of keeping each other accountable every week. And usually there's some sort of hot seat format. So where one person is in the hot seat each week or maybe two people are in the hot seat each week where the focus is on them. Uh, they tell everyone what they're struggling with and the, the people in the group try and help them. And then maybe you're mm. in the hot seat the week after and you do the same. And um, anyone can set them up really. The, the biggest challenge with mastermind groups is having a really good facilitator. So somebody who can say, cool, uh, you know, it's your turn to go now this is the actions that you need to do this week, like holding everybody accountable and that kind of thing. 
because mm. I've been in a lot of masterminds that break apart, especially ones that you don't pay for. I don't know whether you've had this, Mike, but things that you pay for, you tend to do more, like courses <laughs> yes. and stuff, whereas the ones I don't pay for, I'm like, yeah, I just never do anything with them. So the ones that I paid for, um, I've definitely been more involved with because I'm like, well, I'm paying money for this, so I better turn up and things like that. Whereas if you you can mm -hmm. make a free one, like just with people that you know, and you know you could start with that. But the problem is, generally, you don't get enough commitment from everybody. So, and I think that you know the value is having a really good facilitator. And in my program, it's specifically for motion designers, but also we have mentors from the industry kind of giving that extra input and that extra help. And it's, you know, usually between four and six people in each group. So it's quite an intimate kind of thing. It sounds amazing. It sounds, it sounds really cool. Sorry about that. Fucking Amazon. <laughs> um, it sounds really cool. Um, and so with the motion design group, are these people sort of coming together and they're like, look, I'm trying to work on my technique or I'm trying to figure out a business plan. Like, what are you, what are you guys generally talking about? Yeah, so because Motion Hatch is mainly focused on the business side of um, motion design, which I feel like we've kind of like, you know, not really said that yet, so we should say that. <laughs> um, and so everything that I do, I want to be concentrating on, you know, how can you build your career? How can you go freelance? How can you price your projects? All mm -hmm. of that kind of stuff. So that's generally what we talk about. To be honest, we talk a lot about imposter syndrome and stuff like that. People saying, I'm scared to reach out to this studio or this client because I don't think my work is good enough. So we do real reviews and stuff like that as well. If people want that or we help them focus on which direction they should be going in and all that kind of stuff, because I think it's just really motivating to see other people in your industry doing, mm -hmm. you know, different things and kind of all working together and having that account weekly accountability. So we have like an eight week one which is a bit more like a sprint. So you're like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna like do this project or I'm gonna like figure out what I wanna do next in this eight, eight weeks. And then I've just started like a six month one, which is, you know, people can take a bit more time over it. They can work on their businesses for longer and, and really like I'm there trying to really help them to grow their motion design businesses. The imposter syndrome is a real thing. And for a lot of people, I mean, I hear about this every day. For a lot of people, it's always, I don't think I'm good enough. Um, and it's it's kind of toxic because then ultimately it leads to you not pricing for your stuff correctly. It ultimately can lead to some pretty destructive stuff in that industry in general. Like we've seen that. I started as a photographer years ago and the photography business is in rough shape right now because a lot of that um, uh, and not pricing adequately for your job and, and not feeling like there's a, there's a big aspect of insecurity that comes with this business. And it's for a lot of people, it's the hardest thing to get over. Um, and so I think that's really powerful that you guys do that. Um, I think it's really important. And then, uh, talking about pricing adequately for you, are you getting this in the motion design business as well? Like people that are just undercharging for jobs because they're just insecure about them? Yeah, definitely. So one of my biggest things that I'm trying to do, you know, is bringing people together so they can have a kind of open, but yet still somewhat kind of confidential space to talk to each other and, and figure out pricing and stuff like that, because it is different all over the world and mm -hmm. people have different expectations. And I know that now we're all working more remotely. So kind of, you know, you have 
some leveling out across the board, but it's good to just find other people who are maybe in your country doing a similar kind of level of work as you and just say, hey, like, what are you charging? And when I first started out freelancing, people were very hush-hush about that kind of thing. And yeah, I just kind of wanted to provide a platform. And this is what I do in my podcast as well. Like, we talk about rates and stuff. And I'm always banging on about how the rates in the UK promotion designers is much less than the US. And there's no reason <laughs> for that to be the case and stuff like that. It's you're, you're doing God's work (laughs) because it's, (laughs) it's, I ran into this when, when we were in, uh, when I was running a production company. And so with a lot of our clients and a lot of the, cause I was doing this on the East coast. So I was doing this in Boston. Um, and a lot of the clients would know a lot of the big businesses would know that there was this sort of insecurity running amongst, uh, production companies and freelancers. And they would kind of work us against each other. And there was this sort of rule or sort of an unwritten rule where it's like no one ever talk about what bid, what you bid on this job or no one ever talk about what you got paid on this job. And it was always putting the power in the hands of the client because the client at that point could basically say whatever they wanted to you. And, and knowing that, uh, that uh, there were a lot of younger people out there, they would always use that at, they would use that against larger production companies and be like, look, there's a ton of young kids out there that could do this for a fraction of the price. And it's like, well, the only reason why they're doing it at a fraction of the price is because they don't realize how much they can actually make on that job. Uh, and so I was doing the same thing for quite some time. And I still, we still do it on the show as much as we can, where it's like, guys, make sure that you're charging adequately for your thing and make sure that if you are doing something discounted, you are doing something for free, understand what that client's going to take that work and use it for and understand how much money that they're going to make on your work. And so you should be looking at it like, oh, what percentage am I making on a larger job? I, like when I was doing photography years and years ago, I used to shoot a lot of stuff for colleges. So I would do uh, brochures or I would do uh, billboards and I would do big college stuff and and consistently the clients would come to us and go, well, we, you know, it's just photography. You know, my nephew's got a camera and I'm like, hey, there's a reason why you're coming to me and not going to your nephew. Okay. Yeah. And uh, it, it, it was always that battle of like, well, you know, does it really cost as much? I'm like, okay, so if my picture on that billboard, which makes your school look really great, by the way. So if my picture on that billboard gets you three enrollments, how much do you make on three enrollments? You know what I mean? And so I think a lot of folks that uh, get into this business and they feel insecure about their work because there really isn't a proper system to get into this business. It's not like being a firefighter, you know, where it's like I go to fire academy, I pay money for this, and then I come out of fire academy, and now I work as a paramedic, and now I become a firefighter. This is like maybe I go to graphic design school, I come out of graphic design school, maybe I get a full-time job, but if I'm freelance, How do I prove myself? How do I work for Puma? How do I work for Nike? Like, how do I get to that position? And it's confidence and it's understanding and it's being able to talk to peers and share that information with each other. Because if the new person coming out realizes that that job, that bid on that job is actually like a $30,000, $40,000 bid and they're bidding two grand on it. It's like, dude, you're grossly underbidding it. Uh, You're never going to get to that position because they're always going to see you as the two grander and you're also hurting the industry that we're working in because then the larger places can't compete with that. Um, so it's like sort of this evil sort of cycle that happens. 
that was my rant on it. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. And, and you know, if you are that two-grand person bidding on the 30K job, like you say, you're not going to get it anyway because they're going to be like, why are you two grand? That's too cheap. <laughs> yeah. Like people see, you know, they look at numbers and they see value. And if you can like match that, especially if you can match that with a problem that they have and you mm. can say, hey, you've got this problem. I can help you with this problem and it's going to cost you this much. And if you can say, you know, talk more in, in a business point of view, like say if you're not working for an agency, but more a direct client and be like, hey, you know, if we do this, I know that we can get you like, you know, 10% more sales or something like that. Like I'm just making that up off the top of my head. Sure, sure, sure. You know what I mean? If you can start having these more strategic conversations with people about whatever you're creating, I think that you become just so much more valuable. And, you know, like in the graphic design industry, we've seen um, like apps like Canva and stuff like come up where it's making it so much mm -hmm. easier for people who run small businesses, small to medium businesses to do their own graphics. And I know that that kind of thing is coming in motion design. So it's like, how do we stand out, you know, above that? And I think a lot of it is to do with strategy, how you present yourself, your relationships, and you know, what problems you can solve not just through like, oh yeah, I can tap some buttons in After Effects or Photoshop for you. Like I know how this is going to impact your business or your ad campaign and things like that. Totally. Because it's the things that when, when, when at least when we're pricing out jobs, because I, I do a lot of post-production as well and we do a lot of editing. Um, and so what a lot of folks don't realize and a lot of younger editors that are pricing out jobs don't realize is that the hard work isn't the edit. Like the hard work isn't actually making the product, like sitting in front of the computer and doing that stuff. If you're been do, if you've been doing it like you and I have for a while now, there's rhythms and there's, there's ways to get through it. The hard work is all the stuff in between that you always forget to charge for, which is like revisions. How many times are you doing revisions? It's like, if you're editing, it's like your encoding time and your prep time, plus your render out time and your, and your mastering time. It's all like these little spots that a lot of young editors aren't taking into consideration because they'll just look at the project hungrily and go, oh, I can do such great things with this and it will only take me a day to do this. And it's like, well, yeah, it'll take you a day to physically do that edit. But then after the client looks at that edit and then you have to change it and then they show it to their boss and then you have to change it. And then it comes back again at the last minute and you have to change it and then you have to master it out. That's actually like a four day thing or a five day thing instead of a one day thing. Um, and so I think that just comes with experience and time. And what I try to say to a lot of young folks that are getting into it is do these projects for friends, do these projects for like, if your family has a business or if uh, your, your friend's dad has a business, associate how much money that they're going to make with it. And if it's a startup business, then that's a great place uh, to go try these things out and learn the system, learn the back and forth, learn the complications that are involved with doing something for a client and understand the time that's involved with that stuff. And it, it better helps you understand how to price those things out because at the end of the day, when you're in day five and you're at two o'clock in the morning and you're running something out and you're having a lot of trouble with it, it's like you should charge for that. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And it's just making me think of, you know, I'm like trying to hire editors and stuff at the moment. And it, the stuff that I come up against, I'm like, I just need someone to do this thing for me quickly. I need them to understand what I want them to do. And, mm -hmm. you know, if they've got questions, that's fine. But just understand, ask the questions, get it done and 
like give it back to me but make sure you've like double checked it look at the details and all of that kind of stuff because i've a lot of people are not very detail oriented and maybe yeah. i'm going on a rant but this no, is the good. kind Go of ahead. stuff that i value you know and people uh underestimating that kind of thing like personality are you can you gel with the client and how they work you know yep. um the stuff about like I was saying, like pay attention to the details. Have you like triple checked at the work? You know, you don't want to, I absolutely hate it when people send stuff back to me and it's got mistakes in it. And I'm like, if you actually check that, you would, you would see that. And that just puts me off working with them again. Whereas if they send it back <laughs> to me and it's like how I, how I wanted it, or like maybe there's a couple of tweaks, that's fine. But just stuff like that, you know, I want people to save me time because like time equals money, you know, it sounds like a bit of a cliche thing to say, but it's true and I value my time. So the more I have to go back and forward with someone, the more frustrating it is for me. And I just want someone who's efficient, who's quick and who's detail orientated. So I think if we think of those things as well, when we're working with clients, I feel like that, you know, that stuff is like gold basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's why you have clients return to you. And if you can, if when you find people that are that way and you find folks that that do have that skill uh, because oftentimes uh, at least as a producer there are times where my br I just can't handle that so there hits a point where it's like I need to hire a motion uh, designer because I, I know that I need text moving on the screen I know it needs to look good but I don't have time for the for those details I don't have time for that nitty-gritty and there's nothing more nightmarish when the person that you've hired can't pull those things off and you actually have to stop your your actual what what it is that you're doing your thought process is sit there and go okay so why does this not look right and why why are we having trouble ingesting this into the program and why is this there's nothing more frustrating to that and i think that's a death sentence for for freelancers 100 percent. that if you aren't you have to be good at your job and like you said you have to be task oriented and you have to be detail oriented especially in that task because there's so many the devil's in the details with with the graphic design i think right yeah definitely i just think with all jobs i'm i'm maybe it's me i always think that i'm not a detail oriented person but then when people send me stuff <laughs> and it's not right i'm like oh my god you know <laughs> and maybe some of the people are like oh that's fine but i just think you know just please like it sounds so basic but i've had so much stuff recently where i've been like this is wrong this is wrong and it's like really simple stuff it's just because they haven't double checked their work and stuff like that i feel like yeah. this we've we've made our point but it's just such like such basic things just understand what the client wants try and do the best job you can be passionate about what they're doing and why they're doing it and not don't just care about making the art for art's sake another thing that i see a lot in the motion design industry is people saying oh but i want to do this thing because i want to make that character in that style or something like that and it's like okay but is that going to make the client more money or is that what the client wants and they're like no not really i'm just trying to like shoehorn it in there like that's not really going to work and you could do that in your personal project but you need to give the client essentially what they want and they're not always right and we can educate our clients and help them and inform them but I think, you know, at the end of the day, to be a great freelancer, you have to deliver. And yeah, just all the things I've said, I feel like I'll get off my soapbox now about that. <laughs> no, no, it's good because this is what people need to hear. And, 
you have to remember to a certain extent whether you are working as a motion designer or whether you're working as a crew person on a film, you're essentially a breathing paintbrush. And so like, you're working for an, like someone at the top that needs something done. And so what they do is they hunt for your work. They look for something that you've done that inspires them. And that's where your creativity really plays in. I, at least I find that when I do stuff, I'll do my personal projects and I'll put all my creativity into that. And I'll do all my experimentation in my personal projects. And then essentially, usually a year later or two years later, then the clients catch up to it. And they're like, hey, that new thing that you're doing is really cool. I'm like, oh, you mean the thing I did two years ago? <laughs> yeah, 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 that. We'd like to hire you for that. And so then that becomes the thing that you get hired for. But then when I get hired by these clients to do that, they're essentially, I have to work within the confines of their project. I have to work within the confines of their vision. Um, and so you have to understand that sometimes you're just a cog in that wheel. And sometimes the best way to make clients happy is to make sure that you're as greased as possible. You're as professional as possible. You can make that happen for them um, without becoming a pain in their ass. Because uh, I, there's multiple times I've, like you were saying before, that I've worked with people that do amazing work, but they're just a pain in the ass. And so when you're done with it, you're like, this is the last fucking time I'm ever working with that person just because, and the, the work is great, but they've such a nightmare to deal with. They're such a nightmare to deal with on billing or on revisions and their attitude just sucks. And that's a death sentence, like an immediate death sentence in any part of our business, I think. Um, I don't know. Listen to us just ranting this morning. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel bad. I'm like, is anybody like, is this helpful? <laughs> I hope no. so. I think it totally is. What do you think, Liam? <laughs> uh, as somebody who listens to both of these podcasts, I will say it, it is helpful to an extent, but you guys touched on something that I constantly get frustrated with, and I know I'm not alone in that, which is the difference between educating a, a client and understanding what the client wants and needs and providing that. Hmm. So what, so, so you so want, for example, wanna... Haley was talking about the fact that, she, uh, some people say that they want to kind of shoehorn in something that they're working on, mm -hmm. uh, into the project. And it always seems like from my perspective, it's a struggle where I'm talking to a client and I'm like, okay, well, what you want isn't, I'm not able to either a, I'm not able to provide it because I don't know how to do it, but I can provide something else or B, I, I don't think that what you're asking me to do is the best for what you what we're doing and so i'm trying to explain that from my limited experience but i don't know i also want to provide the client with what they want because you know we want to give the client what they want make sure that everybody's happy and and uh, see success through that and they know their audience slash um their their clients better than i do so i know that they're a resource i don't know where the divide is hmm. what do you think Haley? <laughs> yeah, I think it's a bit, you're kind of talking about when when you should be the expert and when you should rely on them and kind of hope that they know what they're doing in the respect of what they need, right? That's it. Yeah, that's exactly it. When and when not to be the expert in the room. Yeah, so I think this is, you know, this is what comes with experience working with clients and as a freelancer because there isn't really there isn't really like 
oh yeah, if the client says this, then you should say this, you know, like that's just, <laughs> that doesn't exist. I think it's, um, it's about, you know, using your common sense and your intuition about whether you feel like they really understand. And also when you first meet them, make sure you're getting like a really clear brief. And if you yeah. aren't, then you can lead them towards creating a clear a clear brief for you i mean maybe in film you know if you're making films and stuff is a bit different um no it's it's but, the same it's totally the same yeah so like i feel like getting a really clear brief from them and then if they can't give you that then you should lead the brief process and then that then you can maybe like consider yourself okay this is probably where i need to educate this client a bit and help them to get to the result that they want and ask them questions about their client or their business and and what kind of results they're expecting and you know who the client avatar is or who the audience avatar is and all that kind of stuff which i think is like what i was talking about before where you need to know a bit more about kind of creative strategy and a bit more about business strategy and then you can have these more higher level conversations I, yeah and it's sort of chime in i i completely agree with all that stuff and i think the difficulty that that you probably have had and a lot of folks have had liam is that just that inexperience and one of the things that you can hopefully do is try to find a mentor you know try to find someone that's in the business that's been doing it longer than you have and i know it's a really difficult thing actually it's not anymore i remember when i started in this business everything was sort of tight-lipped where everybody's mm. like, I'm not going to tell you because I'm going to lose my work to you. And it seems like these days, uh, especially with the stuff that you're doing, it seems like these days people are more open to it and they're more open to sharing and more open to developing these things. Um, it, like if I find personally when I don't have the experience for something, then I reach out to someone that does. And if I'm dealing with clients early on, one of the things that I've learned to do initially with any client even if they send you a brief, so if you get a brief for a commercial, you get a treatment for a commercial, I always get on the phone with that client and it literally have them walk me through the brief. So that way I'm hearing it out of their mouth. And most of the time when that happens, they're reading their brief and they hear the stuff that you may think is ridiculous as they read it to you and they go, ah, oh, this doesn't actually make any sense. This should be like this and this should be like that. And the initial phone call is the most important part of the job because if you're communicating with them and you're listening to them, like on the initial phone call for anything, I'm usually not saying it, a, a word until I've heard everything that they've, they've said to me. And then I'm asking questions like, okay, so what does this mean? Like you guys say that uh, you want this to feel this kind of emotion. What is that? What do you mean by that? Because in at least in the visual business, there's a lot of stuff that folks feel when they watch something on television that is subliminal and they don't understand why they're feeling that, and especially with clients that aren't trained with it, where they're like, uh, I think this needs to be more intense and more action oriented. And they try to associate a technique to it from their outside perspective. But what they don't understand is that they're reacting to all the subliminal stuff that we're putting in there. And so I, I think that the most important thing that you could do initially is have that conversation, have a client read a brief to you, have a client talk you through a brief and then ask those questions. And then after that, walk away from that conversation and then sit down and like go through it yourself and plan it out yourself and plan out how long it's going to take and plan out the stuff that you need. And if you don't know those things, try to reach out to somebody 
uh, that does. You know what I mean? And ask them those questions and find out that sort of thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Dead silence. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I would agree with that. And also, I think sometimes they, if it's like a direct client or something, they might not even know what a brief is, have a brief, anything like that. And then mm -hmm. we've kind of, instead of what a lot of people do is think, okay, I've got to get on this call and like treat it like a sales call and sell myself. It's not about that. Like you were saying, you need to ask them a lot of questions. Yeah. You basically need to ask them like everything, like, okay, what's your business about? Like, what are you looking to get out of this? What are the results that we need to get? Ask them loads and loads of questions. And like you say, then go away, potentially make a proposal or something for them and basically, you know, reiterate what they said, you know, be a good listener, <laughs> reiterate what they said, and then, you know, position your, whatever you, your service or offering um, as a solution, but then very importantly, if your service or offering isn't a good solution for their problem, don't pitch that. Tell them yeah. <laughs> to go somewhere else and tell them where to go because they'll appreciate that. And then when they actually need your services, they'll come back to you later as well. It's 100% true. And I think ultimately it's trying to get over that desperation because yeah. there's that sense of desperation, which I'm sure you've felt as a freelancer where... Uh, when times are great, you're really not feeling that. But when your bank accounts are low and rent starts to roll in, you're like, I need this. I need this damn job. I don't care what it is. And that sense of desperation in my history when I've done it and I've taken these low buck jobs out of desperation, they've been a big nightmare. They've always been a nightmare. And the lower price jobs have been three times as hard as the higher price jobs have ever been for me um, because I'm making irrational decisions. And I think it's just getting over that irrational stuff. Do you agree with me on that? Yeah, I think um, completely. I always tell everyone to try and like come from a place of abundance rather than a place of desperation. And I know it's easy to say and extremely hard to do. But when we do that, I feel like we can see more opportunities and we can get better results. And, you know, things happen. And I think it's it's just really hard. But someone said on my podcast once, which I think is really true, they were like, okay, I was really busy one time. I, I like had someone come to me about a job and I really, really didn't want to take that job. So I gave them <laughs> some like really like audacious number as like the price. And the client said, yep, cool. And they were like, oh my God. They were like, why don't I just do that all the time? You know, Because <laughs> people would just say yes. But he thought, oh, they're never, ever ever going to say yes to this number. So I'm just going to put it out there. And I just think like that kind of mindset is awesome. If we could just try and channel that a little bit, you know, when we're talking to clients, I think it could go a long way. Yeah, no, totally. And, you know, I've talked about it on the show in the past. Like if you decide to go into freelance, uh, you have to change. You have to understand that you're giving up a lot of stuff. So like if you're if you're not taking on a depend well these days what is a 9 to 5 job anyways with covid and everything but if you are deciding to get into this business like the movie business um you have to understand that you're not going to have a steady income consistently so you have to be smart about how you're saving your money you have to be smart about how you're stacking your cash away and you have to be thinking like seven months in the future, five, six, seven months in the future. And I know it's really hard to do when you first get started because you're usually going paycheck to paycheck and your money seems to be going out quicker than it, than it is coming in. But once you get one or two big jobs 
and you have the ability to start stacking cash in front of you. So if you have enough money in the bank account for rent for the next five months, then you're easily making better informed decisions when you're dealing with your clients. It really changes your negotiation tactics because you're like, I don't need this right now. This isn't something that I'm really desperate about. So let me have some fun with the interaction with this client and sit there and go, okay, what do you need? Ah, this should be more money. This should be like this. Or maybe you're holding out because you want to charge for uh, better licensing options. There are all sorts of things that you can do when you're not desperate. And so try, and I know it's hard for, for a lot of folks and it's very difficult to plan for because there could be an emergency that happens in your life. There could be unforeseen costs that sort of come in and it consistently happens with me. Um, but if you can try to be, my goal has always been, I need to have at least five months rent in front of me. I need to have at least seven months rent in front of me. Um, so that way I can be making better business decisions. Um, anyway, that was another rant. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. I think it's, um, like I've paid myself consistently the pretty much the same, you know, every month for a while. And I was doing that as a freelancer as well. And, and it's hard to do that, but it just means that you have to bring in more money than you want to pay yourself every month than you need really. And it's like, it is tough. And sometimes you kind of get a bit down to like, you know, the last little bit of money in your yeah. bank account. But I feel like just, I don't know, it sounds mad, but just like having a little bit of faith with that and, and just like doing the actions to get the clients um, really, really helps and doing those consistently. Um, I'm doing a new course that's coming out and it's just all about getting consistent clients. And the big, big thing is you just need take, to take consistent action and do the outreach consistently. Because the amount of people that say to me, I don't have clients and I'm like, cool, how many clients did you reach out to this week? And they're like, none and i'm like okay well <laughs> that's probably why you don't have any clients then like that's an extreme example but you know like we need to be prioritizing these kind of things like our client outreach building our relationships and we need to build our relationships like way way before yes we need those jobs or we need those connections or those opportunities from those people because that's how you come across as authentic and genuine and not someone who's always taking, but also someone who's giving value to them as well. Yeah, very good advice. I find that I will be working on a client five months before I get the job. And it's just having like exchanges with them, having a, a conversation with them, like reaching out to folks that I potentially want to do video work for, and then just dropping information like, hey, I really like what you guys do. I really dig your your uh, your brand and I love your stuff. At some point, I'd love to work with you. That's great. And then they're not looking for you at that point. And if you're just consistently there commenting on stuff, like if Instagram is such a huge tool for yes. getting work right now. And so if you're just making sure that you're relevant to that client or to that brand by either posting things and making sure that they're tagged and stuff that you're posted or by checking in with them and saying, I really love your new products and, and engaging with them, when they need you, they'll think of you. It's it's like being, we used to run into this in the music video world where, uh, you know, bands that need a, need a music video done. So whenever they finish an album, it always seems like the marketing campaign around a band is always very last minute, always very last minute where it's like, oh shit, the band's done with the album. Okay, so we need a music video. We need to, we need an album cover done. We need all this stuff. Who knows somebody? Who's, who's on our radar? Well, 
so-and-so knows this guy that does these videos and he's he just did this really cool thing we saw online let's hire him and we'll put him in that position and i feel like that's consistent through any part of our business is just being there being at their disposal without being obnoxious about it <laughs> um do you find that it's the same thing? Like it, Instagram, it's a big uh, selling tool for, for motion designers too, you think, right? Yeah, um, Instagram is a funny one, right? Because in our industry, some people are like, okay, cool, I can post on Instagram, but really I'm just like sort of preaching to my, you know, the motion design industry, which sometimes is not getting you any work like your peers. And yeah. there's kind of a couple of ways that you can use it. So you can, you know, make yourself more well known in the industry and like you're saying like commenting on other people's stuff and things like that and then there's also someone in my mastermind program which i was was really awesome made an instagram channel just to help health and wellness brands in um like as a motion designer so really really went niche with it as kind of like mm -hmm. a test rather than building a website and then she got a client like straight away just through commenting on their stuff. And then they reached out to her and said, hey, we like these, cause she had like some existing work that was in that space, some like social ads or something. And cool. they reached out to her straight away and said, hey, we've got this job, can you help us? Because they understood that she was solving and like a direct problem with, for them, which is like gaining more traction on social media to like advertise their products and stuff like that. So I just think that's fascinating to me. And I have a lot of people that are working with me at the moment that are using direct messages to get more in touch with um, like, you know, like small to medium brands in industries that they're really passionate about and stuff like that, which I find really, really fascinating. And also there's so many motion design communities and stuff where if you use their hashtag, they'll they'll post your work on their community, which they generally have like a lot more followers because they can put out more content. So for example, we have one, it's just motion hatch. So it's like Instagram.com forward slash motion hatch. And if you use the hashtag motion hatchling, then we'll like repost some of your work on our channel. And I think we have like 30,000 people, nice. maybe a bit more. And so that just gives you a bit more exposure and, and just knowing those kind of little things for your specific industry, then I, I think that's really valuable. Yeah. And the value, I mean, it's, it's an interesting thing because um, at least in, in, in our business, and I'm sure it's the same with yours, there is a, a great value in having your peers see your work and having other folks in your business because then you can s sort of get great feedback from them. But when you're trying to reach clients, it's difficult because it's not... It's not like clients are following those accounts. Clients generally no. don't even know, they don't even know what a motion designer is. You know what I mean? They just sort of hit a point where they go, I, I want to have like a cool title on the screen. <laughs> Can we figure out how to get that sort of thing? And so one thing that I've kind of learned, and uh, I was doing it with uh, specific commercials now, because the commercial world is so weird. And there was a point in time where you get rep by a large production company, and then that production company would go find your work, but all this production company is going out of business. So it's a very difficult thing to traditionally do now as a director in the commercial world. You really become your own marketer, very similar to uh, what you were talking about. You have to go out there and find your own clients. And so one of the things that I would do is find the type of client that I wanted to work with. Find the, the type of client that I want to actually enjoy doing stuff with. And obviously you guys listen to the show. You know I love food. You know I love all that shit. It's no 
uh, mistake that I started to do work for knife companies like kitchen and, and um, chef's knife companies because I started to form relationships with those people. And then I created my own projects with those knife companies or not even with those knife companies. I would do spec ads on my own with knives. Um, and then the clients would fall in love with those. But because of the relationships I was setting with them, so I was setting out specifically to be a part of that community, very similar to the, your your guest was, where you're focusing on that community, saying these are the type of people I want to work with, uh, and this is the place that I should be putting my post towards or all my advertising towards, not necessarily your followers, not necessarily all the people that uh, already follow you, because they're not going to get you the fucking work. You need to go hunt for the client specifically and then become friends with them, essentially is what it is. Yeah, I agree with that. But I would also say that in terms of your peers and stuff like that, I have had a ton of work through building, you know, my reputation in the motion design industry and like becoming friends with other motion designers because at the end of the day, people, you, like it doesn't matter whether you're a motion designer, an editor, a filmmaker, a director, a photographer, if you know other people in that industry, at some point they're going to be too busy to take on all the work. And Very true. Very you might true. be the person there who can kind of help them out. And I'm always encouraging people as well to like have a little pool of freelancers that they know and like and trust. So when they get too busy, they can reach out to them and get them to help them because I always hear people are like oh I've got no work I've got no work oh my god I've got too much work and it's like okay well if you knew a few people who could help you out then maybe you could you know not burn out and you could actually take on even more work if you can get it and and then help your friends out too and give them some work you know why not this is why we have you on the show because you're smarter than I am <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think it's like, you know, you can go in many different ways with this kind of stuff. And what what I've kind of learned is that you need to experiment and you need to go, cool, what, who do I want to work for? What platforms are they on and how can I contact them? And then figure that out and then try it out for like three months or something. And then after that, after the three months, review your results. This is very important. It's what everyone forgets to do. You need to review the results did I actually get anything from this platform? Did I actually get in contact with the people that I was hoping to? And if you don't, then you should move on to something else, move on to a different platform, move on to a different method of communication or something like that, or, you know, going to like different types of events or whatever, whenever we can do that again. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Can't wait for that, by the way. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> please. I, I would yeah. love to go to a conference, but we can't. Oh, and how is... um. Well, I mean, I mean, uh, it must. So here's something that we found is that the COVID has actually been really great for booking guests on the show <laughs> because people have so much time at this point. So it's actually been really good for our podcast. Um, but for work work, it's, it's very difficult for a lot of people right now, like actually getting uh, that kind of work. And I would assume for motion designers, it may still be a pretty good business because you you guys can work pretty remotely at this point still right so yeah so some people have been doing incredible and they've been getting more work and some people have been saying oh my work's dried up and i think it like depends on kind of what industries you're working in so if you're doing mainly post-production stuff for like documentaries and things like that like obviously you're affected by that but then mm -hmm. if you're doing like social ads for online businesses 
and stuff, maybe you're less affected by it. Um, so I think it depends on who you are. But what I would say is, is just look at who your clients are and can you pivot to an industry or a certain type of client that is busy right now and does have a lot of work. And also my friend who is really smart, he owns a production company, so he does a lot of video and weddings and commercials and stuff like that. So probably like a lot of people listening. And he actually said to me, hey, we can't do a lot of filming right now. So we're gonna pivot our business and do more motion design and animation. I need some really good animators that can help me create content for my clients that we don't need to film basically. And we can kind of, you know, pass the work on and, you know, upcharge for that, manage the projects, do all of that kind of thing. And I was like, that is so smart. So I thought that was amazing. No, that's incredibly smart and and forward thinking which is really important too. It's this whole, the, the, the whole COVID thing has been this interesting process of denial. <laughs> it's this wild sort of, you know, this is not really happening and this can't be happening. And then how, how is this going to affect my business? All right, we'll just hunker down and it'll be fine. Um, and it just takes, it, there's a lot of you listening right now that are like, you know, still in denial. Like they're, you have to have forward thinking. You have to think about uh, as you get more desperate and as your your funds start to dry up and, and whether or not the uh, unemployment stays consistent with you, you're going to have to pivot your business. You're going to have to think about stuff like that. And it's super fucking smart to go into animation stuff because that is the easiest thing for clients to do right now because to shoot right now is terrifying. And it isn't just about... Uh, you know, potentially getting sick, but just the ins- the insurance cost alone on shooting, and then the COVID uh, regulations that are in place right now, like out here in California, it's just ridiculous. You actually have to hire specific, uh, uh, like, uh, what's the term I'm looking for? Gina, who compliance officer? Thank you. So you have to hire a COVID compliance officer. And what a lot of people don't realize is that the standard going rate for a compliance officer is like $1,600 a day for like 10 hours. And then the compliance officer has to show up to set with like, (laughs) they show up with like hand sanitizer station, they sanitize your your bit, and then there's all these overhead costs that are included with it. Insurance costs for, for COVID insurance right now is ridiculous. And so shooting is a nightmare. And we're trying as a business right now to get back into that. And the movie industry is trying to open itself back up with that. But I mean, just to give you a point of reference, a friend of a friend of mine just had his movie greenlit. And his movie is a $6 million movie. A million dollars came off for COVID insurance. That's so crazy. it's insanity. It's oh insanity God, yeah. right now. So um Basically, what I'm trying to say is that the clients know this. And so if you're dealing with commercial clients, they want to stay away from it completely because they're A, anytime you tell a client that they have to spend money on a commercial, they're like, well, I don't have any money. It's like, well, you do. Uh, B, uh, the last thing they're going to want to spend a quarter of their budget or half their budget on is COVID stuff. So they're constantly looking for faster, easier ways to sell their product because at the end of the day, they have a warehouse full of shit and they want to get it out. And so making that, uh, making ads into motion design ads is the easiest way to do that because you could still sell the messaging and still build the tone and still build an experience with that. Anyway, super smart. 
on that yeah transport. definitely yeah. it's that thing um you know we need to stabilize our businesses we need to adapt them and then we need to look at growth again and i think you know everyone everyone was just like in shock for a bit you know me included <laughs> like where you're like in shock and you're thinking ah what do we do and then um <laughs> you know the stabilization bit is like maybe looking at your expenses do you still need all these expenses i went through all of mine and the amount of apps and software that oh i don't use God. anymore that i'm paying for monthly was ridiculous <laughs> so you know just that kind of thing um on the stabilization part like thinking okay can we get you know some stuff in for the next month or whatever and then on the adapting part you know is that pivot like do we need to change our industry do we need to change our clients are there existing clients that we can serve more you know are there people that we could you know get more work from or do we need to attract different types of clients that kind of stuff and then you know obviously then growth can come after that but I think like you say, what people are actually doing is just trying to hunker down and like go, it will be over soon and it will all go back to normal. <laughs> and and I, I don't necessarily think that that's true. You know, I think, I think having a kind of, you know, a kind of stabilize, adapt and grow kind of mindset is, is some good stuff to think about and will probably set you on a, a bit of a better path than just trying to, you know, weather the storm. Yeah. And, you know, it's, a, it's, it's just a positive thing to do, period, because then if it all goes back together, then great, you've already established a whole nother working, a whole nother source of income, you've already established a whole new business plan through that process. So you've used this, this time to actually develop. Um, and then you can go back to work. <laughs> you know what I mean? So uh, I think it's, I think it's fascinating. And one of the interesting things that's been happening because of the lockdown is that a lot of people are uh, taking this time to educate themselves. And whether you, you know you're seeing a, a million posts about people learning to bake bread, or <laughs> uh, you have folks that are uh, taking the time to take courses and teach themselves how to use specific programs, so it this must be a good time for you because you're essentially educating folks. You know. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there is obviously when we went into lockdown, like, I'm not going to lie, there's a bit where people went, oh, we can't spend money on anything. And, you know, even <laughs> though you're right, and I believe wholeheartedly that it is a great time to learn and, and especially to do things like, you know, the mastermind kind of stuff, because you need to have people around you, you need that support network and stuff like that. But there's there was definitely a bit of I'm not sure where my money is coming from. So I, I don't know whether I want to do this, you know, and it just means that um, from my side, you know, I need to sort of, you know, teach people more and kind of educate them more on, on why it would be great for them to do that. But also I hunkered down and, and just put out a lot more free content as well for the people who need it, who maybe couldn't afford the paid stuff at the time, you know. So I think it's just about, trying to be smart about that and we also did um gave away some free spots to our mastermind and all of that kind of stuff just anything really to help the industry and and it makes it harder right it, as a business it makes it harder because you've got to do twice the work for sure. essentially the same results but um i'm willing to do that kind of thing because i really care about the people in the industry and i want what's best for them and you know i i want to help as much as i can basically and this is kind of the way that I've chosen to do that. 
It's a very admirable thing. And I think it's a very selfless thing. And I, I think that um, a lot of selfish folks forget. And I think we've, we've seen this and hopefully we learn from this because like I was saying earlier, like the photography business being in rough shape, um, there was a period in time where you could be a music video director as a career and that's gone. That's essentially gone. Like a lot of these career paths uh, have sort of dried up because of the unhealthy habits that the industry has. And I think it's important to have a healthy industry and to be creating an environment for a healthy industry. That's what we try to do on this show too, um, because you can't exist without it. You can't exist in this industry without a healthy industry. And, and um, I, like I said, I've seen it disappear with photography and I've seen it disappear with music video stuff. And it's headed that way with movies. It's headed that way because we, we don't take care of our business. We don't take care of our industry. We're not giving back to that industry. We're not nourishing it. We're not giving the folks that are getting into it the confidence that they need in order to keep this uh, a strong and viable business. Uh, so I think it's it's admirable that you're doing that. And thank you for doing that stuff. Oh, thanks. I feel like I don't deserve that much praise. But <laughs> but yeah, I just look up to people that I admire and, and that's what they do. And, and I always think that, you know, if you're trying to give value to people, whether you're a freelancer, whether you're kind of creating content like we are and, and trying to give back, um, that's always going to come back to you and, and you're always going to be in a better position for it. Like I don't, all the people that I can think of in my industry that I know of who are seen as like, you know, like, I don't know, I hate to say it, but like kind of, I can't think of a better word. I'm going to say the rock stars because I hate like influencers, <laughs> um, that word. But like, you know, the kind of people who are sort of at the top of their game, I guess, they are all people who give back to the industry, who teach, who care about other people, who give their advice freely and, and that kind of stuff. So I would just encourage everybody to do that. And even if you feel like you're starting out and you don't know anything, you know, there's always that person who's just a couple of steps behind you who you could help out and and that really means a lot and don't have the mindset that some people do like why are all these kids taking our jobs you know because <laughs> I think that's the worst and you definitely don't want to do that no totally and I always try to explain to people uh that you get paid if you're good at what you do you get paid ultimately for the little little piece of pink flesh that sits between your two ears it's your experience it's your brain it's your it's it's taking uh, a treatment taking a need and processing it through your life experiences processing it through your work experiences and making something completely new um and this is uh, this is huge for directing this is huge in the movie business because you can hand that same script to 20 different people and get 20 different movies and those movies are completely informed by the path that that person went through to get to that point in their life. Um, and that's that's essentially what you're charging for. Like the, to learn how to technically turn on a camera and to learn how to technically edit. Anybody could do that. They're trying to design apps that will do that so that they can get rid of our jobs, essentially. So anybody can do those skills. What they can't do is recreate the path that you've been on in your own life, the path that is going to inform your art that is going to inform your storytelling, it's going to inform your work. That is what makes you valuable, and that is what gets you hired. Uh, and I think it's important to remember those things. So once you get to that point of understanding, at least when I got to that point of understanding, then I didn't care if I was telling you what camera settings I was using. I didn't care if I was telling you how I edited that piece because 
what I was doing in that moment only worked for that moment. What I'm going to do tomorrow is going to be completely different. So I'm, I, I never feel that anxiety of like, oh shit, they know how I did it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I, I think getting to that point is so important because then once again, very similar to what I was saying before, which is uh, when you have money in your bank account, you can make informed decisions. Once you get rid of that anxiety, that fear that someone's going to steal your shit and make it, then you can start making relaxed, better informed decisions on the projects you're going to take, better informed decisions on the healthy people that you have around you, the positive people that you have around you. Um, and you know, essentially try to scrape out a bit of that anxiety out of your life. So maybe you'll buy yourself another couple of years in the back end. So I don't know. There's another rant for you. <laughs> um, this has been great having you on the show. I hope you're having a good time because I'm having a great time talking to you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's really good. And I, I'm, you know, obviously a fan of podcasts. So it's great to come on somebody else's show as well and especially in like a slight what I'd consider maybe a slightly different niche but maybe related because you know I feel like the stuff that I talk about even though it's directed at motion designers essentially I feel like is just business and yes. kind of life stuff so anyone can learn from it and um, I, I'm sure you feel the same way about the kind of things that you talk about too. Yeah and you know Another thing that I'd love to, because we're peers at this point, as far as podcasting goes, like um, when I first started doing this, my concern ultimately, okay, so I'm an East, so in the US, I'm an East Coast kid. And what it comes with being from the East Coast is there's a certain sense of cynicism <laughs> that comes from that. And so when I first got into this and I first got into podcasting and I was looking around at other folks, I felt like there were two different types of people that were doing this. They were the type of person like you that seemed very genuine and they seem like someone that really cares about this business and wants to help these people. And then there, there seemed to be like the snake oil salesmen. They seemed to be the people that were just taking advantage and trying to find a way to make any, uh, like a secondary income. And they really weren't qualified to be doing that sort of thing. Um, and so I've always run into that personally with this show. Um, I've always wanted to sort of differentiate myself and be 100% clear and upfront with the audience as they're listening to this. I do this podcast because I get something from it. I essentially get to make great relationships with guests like you. I essentially get inspired by the people that I talk to on the show. I get inspired by the people that listen to the show and that communicate with me. And I, I don't make a shitload of money on the show. And I get that. Be, I do this show because that pays me and that helps continue the business for me. Do you feel the same way? Like ultimately is it, and I, I hate saying it this way, but is it just about the money for you or is it, is it about the relationships and what do you think is the bigger benefit to doing a podcast? Yeah. So yeah, it makes me laugh that you said that it's doing a podcast about the money because I'm like, is anybody <laughs> doing a podcast for the money? Like, I don't know. I mean, maybe some people unless are, you're but... Unless you're Joe Rogan, unless you're a comedian. Yeah, oh like... yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. I forget about those people. I always think about like people in the education space. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, my, I have a podcast editor. He's been a friend of mine for a long time. He actually has now a podcasting company. And um, he was just saying the other day, like, you should never get into podcasting because you just want to make money. Like, that is, one, the wrong way to go about it. Two, it's probably not 
gonna happen and three mm-hmm. like you're just never well that's kind of the same as point two but you're just never gonna make money if you go into it with that mindset as well i just don't i just don't believe that you could because that's essentially like what you're saying what you really get out of like if we just take away just pull out like my podcast from the rest of the stuff that I do what you really get out of it like you said is building relationships with other people mm-hmm. um you know like essentially like making yourself a bit more of an expert in your space which I guess uh, does kind of lead to money but and then also you know the feedback really for me is like a big thing like the feedback from other people saying like this podcast really helped me or you know this particular tip that this guest said like completely changed the way I do things and that changed my life and stuff like that like that's what gets me you know those emails that you get occasionally I mean I don't get tons and tons like I hear some people get loads but (laughs) I get like a decent amount I think of those kind of emails that say you know thank you for doing this stuff and and sometimes they say like look I'm in a country where you know, I'm, I probably can't afford to pay for your mastermind or your course or something like that. But just so you know, I really love the podcast and it really, really helps me. And and I'm like, that's cool. Like, I absolutely love that. Like, thank you so much for listening. And I'm so happy that you get something out of it. Yeah, that's, that's great. And I feel the same way. Like for me, most of the time when I have my guests on the show, I usually have uh, a pad and a piece of paper next to me and I'm taking notes. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> it's it, it's like I've somehow convinced them to give me a course for free. <laughs> it, it, it's really nice to, to learn that way and to give back to the guests and to have these open conversations because I always, I always end up turning off the microphone and walking away and going, you know, I, that's fascinating. And I think I'm going to try that and, and it, and then the relationships that are formed, uh, especially in my business, it's tough to get access to these people that you ultimately want to work on a movie with because your movie hasn't been greenlit. And this is a great way in. So you actually do a podcast and you meet the people that you ultimately want to work with and they remember who you are. So um, I, I don't know. I just I figured I, I just want to bring that up again. I always I'm very subconscious about it where it's just like this is why I'm doing this and this is what it's there for because when I started in this podcast business and Liam can attest to this, I had looked at other folks and I'm just like, that guy just seems like a snake oil salesman. (laughs) (laughs) And I never wanted to be that. You know what I mean? So yeah, definitely. I I think that, you know, for me, just because motion hatch is my full-time gig now, um, I, I don't see that as a bad thing. I see that. I think it's like awesome because I'm like, that's great because I get to spend more time helping more people in the industry like that's purely why I do it and it's like of course you have to charge for some stuff but Mm -hmm. at the end of the day like I was saying before you know sometimes these you know these courses or or masterminds or whatever you're putting out there isn't it effective for people if you don't charge for it as well so there's also that side of thing like one side it's helping you to sustain this stuff to helping you sustain the the kind of free stuff that you do it's helping mm-hmm. you to package up um, stuff more professionally, like if it's in a course and, and you know, really give people a curriculum and things that they can follow in that way. And three, you know, they're going to take action on it because they paid for it too. So I, I, I think that's kind of the mindset that I have in terms of how I run my business. And, and now I'm looking to 
hire more people on my team and stuff like that because this is bigger than me you know motion hatch is bigger than me and i want to make it a company that has a mission to you know help motion designers and maybe other types of creatives in the future be better at business you know develop their careers and charge what they're worth nice 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 that's awesome that's really great uh liam did you have anything that you want to chime in on at this point i mean I was going to ask about like uh, content marketing, but you guys kind of touched on that. So I'm happy. <laughs> I'm happy. <laughs> we've, we've answered all the content marketing questions. <laughs> so that's what you sound like when you're happy. I'm happy. It's great, dude. <laughs> um, <clears throat> all right. Well, I think we've sort of hit the point uh, on the show where we can wrap things up. And um, this is usually the point of the episode where I ask our guests, to give uh, some advice to the younger people in the industry. And you've been giving us advice this whole episode. Um, what I would say is uh, how, what do you think the best, what do you think the best technique to finding a mentor is in your mind? Like, how do you, how do you think someone in, in, in let's stick with your business in the motion design business. Where do you think that they, <laughs> besides what you do, where do you think that they should go to find a mentor in this business? Yeah, I think I'm going to have to echo what I've been saying throughout. And I think the best way to do it is to first try yourself to give back to the industry, because that's the way that I've, like you said, got access to people that I thought that I wouldn't get access to. And then they've become fantastic mentors of mine. And sometimes I can't believe that you know, they're not like charging me to talk to them, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> they should be probably. Um, so I think it's just doing what I said, you know, try and give back to your your peers, give back to the industry, um, try and give others value and and then don't be afraid to reach out to people. And if they see what you're doing and they see that you're a helpful, nice person in the space, then they're going to want to help you. Thank you. That's really great advice. And um, uh, so let's plug your plug your podcast and let's plug the website. Let's uh, plug everything that because uh, I, I think people need to go and check and listen to your stuff um, because I think you're doing really great stuff. So uh, where can they listen to your show? Yeah. So if you just head over to motionhatch.com is the website and then to find the podcast, I mean, you can pretty much search anywhere and just search Motion Hatch. And then if you want to find it on the website, it's motionhatch.com forward slash podcast. I'd love to hear from anyone if they listened uh, to this show. Uh, you can just email me if you want. Hello at motionhatch.com. Let me know what you thought of the show. If you have any other questions for me, I'd love to hear from anyone from the audience. So I hope you guys enjoyed that episode as much as I did. Um, you know, we try to be real on this show and uh, we try to to get into the real topics behind how this stuff is all done. And honestly, you know, we're just trying to we're trying to share the stuff that that I know will help you. So I hope you got something from the show. I hope you found a little bit of comfort from the show. You found uh, a little trick or tip that helps you when dealing with clients. Um, and I know we sort of glaze over a lot of the stuff quickly and I could, I can literally do an entire episode on just how I interact with clients 
and how I find stuff. So do you guys want that? If you guys want me to get like very detailed into this stuff, drop me a note at Instagram, okay? And let me know. Just say, hey, do me a favor. Can you go deeper into this topic? Can you go further into this? Um, I'm just curious to see what it is you guys are interested in. And if you want me to dig further into it, we will. I'll put Liam on it. We'll get someone else on the show and we'll dig deep. Or I'll just have Liam ask me a bunch of questions and I'll tell you what I do. So if that's what you want, let me know and we'll do it. Um, But I hope you guys are enjoying the scale and scope of the show. We've been sort of broadening a bit, getting a little bit bigger. Uh, Let me know. What is your favorite episode out of the past five or six episodes, even the past 10 episodes? Which ones have been highlights for you? Which ones do you go back and listen to over and over again? Uh, Let us know. Send all that stuff to me on Instagram um, because it's important. If you guys are finding some some shit boring, then we'll make adjustments. You know, we're here for you, man. (laughs) We're here for you guys. Uh, I want to thank all the new followers that have come over. Hopefully from uh, Motion Hatch. Welcome. Uh, Dig deep. Go back through my stuff and find the stuff that you want to hear from. We've got a bunch of really great guests on this show. Um, A lot of other like... Uh, graphic designers. I've got a lot of folks on the show. So go dig back into our history and find the episodes that speak to you. And hopefully you'll stick around. Hopefully you think that uh, this loudmouth piece of shit is worth listening to. So I appreciate you guys. As always, appreciate Code Electro for giving us the tracks that we're listening to through the episodes. Thank you, my friend. I'm consistently hitting up his label with copyright infringement stuff when we post this stuff on YouTube and they continuously release it to us so thank you so much guys um and as always liam thank you for setting up the show thank you for taking care of stuff and thank you for being a positive uh influence on this season so many when you the the people that have been with us since the beginning and you're like why is this season so great it's because liam's with us so thank you liam for all that we have lots of really great stuff on the way cannot wait uh, to give you more episodes of the show. Um, so fingers crossed, stick with us. Love you guys. And I will see you next Tuesday. <laughs>